the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. There are lots of ways we could look at this passage. I'm going to suggest, just noticed I didn't move that on, did I? Uh, I'm going to suggest three summaries, and we're going to look at these. The first one is that the message of the cross is either foolishness or the power of God. The message of the cross is either foolishness or the power of God. In the first section of the passage we've just read, Paul seems to riff off the words foolishness, wisdom and power. The second thing is that God uses foolish things to shame the wise. This is the astonishing upside-down nature of God's kingdom. And the third thing is this well-known verse. Paul says that when he went to the church in Corinth, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ crucified. Over the last few weeks as I've been preparing for this, I've been trying to work out what it means on a day-to-day basis, living that. I resolved to know nothing among while I was with you except Christ crucified. So those are the summaries of the passage in the order that I've just read them. But I think in keeping with the upside-down nature of God's kingdom, we're going to look at them in reverse. So we're going to start with the final one. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think that's a good verse to learn. I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What might that mean for you to live that out in your daily life? I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm going to give you an example before we go on to look at that verse a little bit more. Uh, Here's a very ordinary example in my life that I hope you can relate to. About ten days ago, I saw a friend who I was at university with... Um, We met when we were 18. We spent a lot of time together. I'd not seen her for 23 years. I last saw her at her wedding in summer 2000, and she then left the country. And we've been in touch, but I've not seen her. Ten days ago, there was a funeral in Exeter of one of our old lecturers, a man who had been an amazing spiritual mentor to so many students. And several of us gathered in Exeter um, to go to his Thanksgiving service at the Mint Methodist. I mean, that's a whole other story, to be honest. There's just a life lived knowing Christ crucified. I mean, that's, that's what um, that man did. But me and my friend, we we spent the day together. Um, It was really good catching up. We went to the Thanksgiving service at the Mint. We went to the burial at Topsham Cemetery. 
And then we were at the wake uh, afterwards, sitting round with a table of um, students who looked a lot older than they did when they were 18. Um, and then we found ourselves, me and my friend, on our own. And she began telling me of some of the difficulties that she's been experiencing in the last few years. Uh, she described it to me as being in the eye of a storm at the moment. And one of the things she was talking about was her eldest child was going to Bath University. And so she said Bath University, and immediately my mind flooded with all the things I know about Bath and Bath University. I don't know if that happens to you when you're talking to someone. I, immediately I was thinking, okay, I used to live really near Bath, I went there lots shopping, I used to play hockey in the university, I've even been to the university, to the department her son was going to study at for work meetings. And all this knowledge about Bath and the university came to me as I was talking to her. But do you know what that knowledge was? It was just useless. It didn't mean diddly squat to her in that moment. She's an adult, she's got Google. <laughs> I do not need to tell her about my knowledge of Bath and Bath University. What she needs is the hope of Christ crucified. She has that hope already, but she need me, needed me to just listen. To listen so many times. I think we want to go to our knowledge, to our experience, and what's needed, what people need, is for us to, in the name of Jesus, listen. There's not a lot I can do for her. I offered to pray for her. I did pray for her. I'm carrying on praying for her. But you know, there are just those situations where we just need to zip it and we need to listen and to know Christ crucified. And I do not always get it right. I do not always get it right. Jesus Christ and him crucified in any given situation is the most precious knowledge. It is the most precious knowledge. Now, you might say to me, there are plenty of situations in this world where knowledge and experience is really important. Some of you here are teachers. You kind of need to know that you're teaching the right things so that your students can pass exams. Some of you are engineers. If you build roads and bridges, you need to know the physics. That means that those bridges will not collapse that those roads can take all that wear and tear. Some of you have expert knowledge and experience in caring for, for other people and having the wisdom in knowing what to do in different situations. I don't think Paul is saying that all other knowledge is unimportant. Of course it's not. And we know that because actually we know what Paul did. If you go back to Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, we read this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, 
and a, nat a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the Roman Empire, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. It's really specific, this. We know how what Paul did when he was in Corinth. So Paul went to see Aquila and Priscilla. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul used his knowledge and experience of tent making to earn a living. And he used his mind to reason with the Jews and the Greeks at Sabbath in the synagogue. You know, I expect he had to make tents pretty well to make a living. I think if they'd fallen apart, then uh, he wouldn't have been able to make a living. And he had to use his mind to reason uh, with people on the Sabbath. But Paul is telling us that the first thing to know, the best thing to know, the most life-giving thing to know, the thing that is going to keep us for all eternity is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this is where Christ Jesus has become for us the wisdom of God. In verse 30 we read, The wisdom of God are righteousness, holiness and redemption. In Christ we are righteous, holy and redeemed. So we're right with God, we're forgiven. We are clean and pure, we're holy. And we are worth God spending his riches on. He redeemed us with something really precious, Jesus Christ. You are bought with a price, you are redeemed. Now, you may feel that you don't know very much. You may feel you don't actually have much knowledge to offer people. But if you know Jesus Christ and him crucified, you have so much to offer people. You have so many riches to tell people. I don't know all of your life circumstances. I don't know what failures you may carry with you. I don't know what sin and shame you may be haunted with. I don't know what battles you may be facing now or those that God will allow you to face in the future. I don't know that for myself. <coughs> but if we know Jesus Christ crucified, then we are right with God, we're righteous, we're clean and pure, we're holy, and we are worth God spending his riches on. We are redeemed. <coughs> The second thing, working backwards in our passage, is that God uses the foolish things to shame the wise. In the kingdom of God, the first will be last, the last will be first, the poor are blessed, the mourn, those who mourn will be comforted. That's the kingdom that Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's upside down. We live in a world where people are followed when they're most popular. Think of Instagram influencers. Or when they have most power, be it social power, 
financial power or military power. In God's kingdom, Paul tells us, weakness is power. So the ultimate sign of weakness, the ultimate sign of shame in the Roman world was the cross. And then Paul says about him going to Corinth, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. I actually suspect that Paul was quite eloquent. I mean, you you get that feeling, don't you, from his writing. I suspect that he was quite compelling. I mean, he writes like he's eloquent and he's knowledgeable, doesn't he? But the kind of eloquence and wisdom that the world praises is not important. What's important is the message of the cross. And that message only lands not with eloquence, not with fine talking, but with the Spirit's power. Paul says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but God's power. Transformed lives. The demonstration of the Spirit's power. I think we need to be wary of eloquence and human wisdom on on its own. Paul is telling us it's powerless. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It was shameful for the rabbi Jesus to be arrested, to be put on trial, to be put to death as a common criminal. I mean, why was he so foolish? Why did he let himself be so defeated? I mean, it really was such a mess and a failure. And Jesus knows what failure looks like. This really came home to me earlier this year. It was uh, Easter time. On Monday, Thursday, I went up to London with one of my daughters and we went to the V&A, the Victorian Albert Museum. And in that museum, there was an exhibition by Donatello, the 15th century, century sculptor. And initially, as I walked around, I found it a bit underwhelming because a lot of his sculptures are very, very flat. But the more you look at them, they're just so beautiful. And because it was Monday, Thursday, and I had in mind Easter, the thing that really impressed me, the thing that I was thinking about was, if you were there, you did not know that Easter Sunday was coming. It was an absolute failure of a ministry. There was this man who had thousands of followers. They all deserted him, and he was hung on a cross. In human terms, it was an absolute abject failure. It was foolishness. It was shameful. But that's the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. The Son of God could have had anything or everything in the world the heavens the universe he could calm the storm he could heal the sick and yet he gave it all up for you and me 
Whatever failures you bear the scars from, I think Jesus understands what faith looked like on a human level. His life's work, his ministry, ended in being nailed to the tree. That's the foolishness of the cross. And the final point is the things that we we started with. The message of the cross is one of two things. It's either foolishness or it's the power and wisdom of God. So the cross is this turning point in history and it's a turning point in people's lives. I think many of you here could testify to that. It's a turning point in history and it's a turning point in our lives. And of course it is. I mean, if it's true that the only son of the almighty, powerful God who made this earth, made this universe, was nailed to a cross for us, then that is the pivot point of humanity. It can't be anything but. It's either foolishness or it's the power of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God is most clearly seen when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is nailed to a cross. I mean, that's something to dwell on for a lifetime. I wonder if you think sometimes we get immune to that message. To how outrageous it is. Especially if we've been in church a long time. We lose the wonder of it. We fail to be amazed at the craziness of it. Paul says it's a stumbling block to the Jews. Because they couldn't understand how a king would let himself be crucified. And it's foolishness to the Greeks. If you were Greek, being a god meant that you were powerful and you did what you liked. You didn't give your life up for someone else. And yet if you read the Old Testament right from the beginning, this is where it was all headed. Jesus Christ crucified. God couldn't let go of his love for his covenant people, the people of Israel, despite their unfaithfulness. And he needed a way to bring other people the non-Israelites, into that covenant, and he needed a way to judge the world. And the cross met all those needs. And it meets our deepest need. The wisdom of the world is not enough. The world, through its wisdom, did not know him. No matter how much you know, no matter how clever you are, no matter how wise, no matter how much philosophy you know, The world, through its wisdom, did not know him. We've already said, haven't we, there's a a lot of wisdom in this room. There's a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of experience. In all sorts of different ways, in caring professions, in in science, in engineering, in in teaching, um, in, in insight about people's characters, lots and lots of wisdom. But all that knowledge and wisdom doesn't get us to God. I'm a scientist. 
by education and by training. So I want to show you a clip uh, of Brian Cox answering the question of whether science, so some of the best human wisdom at its greatest, um, has disproved God. So, so I don't have a, I don't believe in God. However, um, I don't like the, uh, the, the, the antagonism that, 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 that occurs or is produced by this question. I mean, what you can say if you're a cosmologist, what you should say is, so, so we know that the universe was very condensed 13.8 billion years ago. Uh, we don't know how it got hot and dense. We don't even know, actually, if the universe had a beginning in time. Don't know. So um, that, that, to me, is where the, the, the science science starts, for me, with, I don't know. Getting all of that point of it. Well, so, so I'm not going to... You haven't been an argument with famous atheist Russell Brand, who's um, also a comic, as we know. But, but you said... But Russell's not an atheist. Russell's... A, he's not. Strongly believes in that. Is that right? I got, I got that wrong. Thing. Sorry. Um, uh, you said to him um, that science doesn't rule out the existence of a creator. No, but in the sense that I just said, that I think we're overstepping the, the mark. I, I do not believe there's any evidence for a creator. However, there certainly isn't. No, the, the, you know, the, the, the point is that the correct thing to say is we don't even know whether the universe had a beginning. I don't even know whether it was eternal. Nobody does. So, so that, that's the point I was making. I think we're, we're stepping into a, an area where we don't really need to be. Yeah, and I think a point, and, and as scientists, we need to be humble about the fact that we don't know everything, and we shouldn't pretend to. I don't know if you picked up most of that. He was basically saying there's so much we don't know. And actually science, when it talks about God, strays into areas that it can't comment on because we don't know. He said that he didn't believe in God, but there isn't no evidence for God. So the, the best physicists, the best microbiologists, the best chemists, they cannot get us to God. Human wisdom just doesn't work. All the wisdom in the world, all the science in the world, does not stop us perishing. Did you notice that word? Perishing? We are perishing. Well, I know I'm perishing, so I was thinking about this. There was a time I could probably have jumped off that stage onto one leg and not done any damage. My knee joints would have been really flexible. The meniscus in my knee joint would have been really spongy. Um, some of you who are young have got young knees. I used to play badminton and I'd call the young people young knees. I don't have spongy knees anymore. They're perishing. They're perishing. All the science in the world can't stop us perishing. But the message of the cross does. Uh, Marion Swords puts it in his commentary like this. 
God's self-revelation in the cross is the key to comprehending God, and that's an eternal God. It is the necessary starting point for valid comprehension of the divine, and without the cross, we are bound to misunderstand God. God is fully revealed in the cross of Christ. And when we're bound through Christ to this eternal God, we won't perish. I don't know what my knees are going to look like in the new heaven and the new earth. But they're not going to perish anymore. Don't you just long for the people that you work with, the people you live with, the people you play with, those on your front lines, to really grasp who God is through the cross? You know, they might think of the church as the church ancient and modern as this powerful, rich, maybe even corrupt organisation, but that's not who we are called to be. If we go back to the title of this evening's talk, we are church, we are foolish and weak, we follow a crucified Christ, which might seem foolish, but it's the power and wisdom of God And I think that's the kind of foolishness we need to aim for. One one more thing that I just thought I would mention. This passage talks about Christ crucified and not Christ risen. I don't know if you've been thinking about that as I've been speaking. It's been puzzling me for a couple of weeks. I resolved to know Christ and him crucified not Christ risen. So I went back to all Paul's sermons in Acts. I said, did did Paul just speak about Christ crucified? And he didn't. The amazing thing about Paul was he, he changed the angle of his message depending on who he was speaking to. He didn't change the core of the message, but he changed which, which parts he started with. But he always mentioned Christ risen. So why does he not do that here? Why why does he he focus on Christ crucified? And I can't say for sure, but I suspect it's to do with the divisions among them. In chapter 1, we were thinking last week that the Corinthians wanted to follow the heroes, didn't they? They wanted to say, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos. And Paul says to them, did, did they die for you? Was Paul crucified for you? Was Peter crucified for you? Was Apollos crucified you for you? Did any of the leaders... The big names in the church of Corinth lay down all their heavenly wealth and power for you. Were they nailed on a cross for you, for me? No. You know, leaders are necessary. But they're not our saviour. So I think particularly when we're facing divisions among us, we need to remember Christ crucified. Only Christ loves you that much, loves me that much. Only Christ can save us. 
I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, Maybe as a church community, maybe as an evening service community, we can resolve to know Christ and him crucified more. Here in this place, but also in our everyday lives. So I'm going to leave some moments now for us just to reflect on what God may be saying to you through these weak and faltering and non-eloquent words about how you can resolve to know Christ and him crucified in your coming week. So let's do that now.